0: Hey, greetings, everybody. I'm Gerd Leonhard, futurist in Zurich, Switzerland. Merhaba, bonjour, bonjour, dia, Buenas tardes. Um, it's great to be here with you today uh, for the 12th edition of GERD Talks. Uh, GERD Talks is where we tackle interesting topics, sometimes with guests or sometimes with just me. And today it's a great pleasure to have with me Aline Frankfurt, which I'll uh, introduce in just a minute. Uh, we have a very timely topic on this show. You know, right now, it kind of seems like hope is something that we really have to go searching for, and optimism seems like the exemption. And so this is a very, very good opportunity to talk about why we have hope, why I feel like that we can make a good future. And uh, I've worked with Aline a bunch of times in the past, and some of the things that she says about why there's hope for a future and why we need optimism is such a good fit that I decided to invite her to the show. So the way that's gonna work, just like all talks, uh, you have the opportunity to comment using the chat function. And that works best if you are actually logged in uh, on LinkedIn or YouTube or Twitter, so we can see who you are. We tend to take the questions from people with an ID more than others. Uh, There's no way right now to do a call in or so. We're working on that. Eventually we'll have that too. So right now it's commenting, and then um, my team will pick out the questions and bring them right into the conversations, okay? So that's kind of where we're going with this. You know how it works. We'll have a recording later, and also edits of the recording, so you can watch on my YouTube channel, uh, Gertube.com. So uh, on this topic, uh, I'm delighted to have Eileen with me. So Eileen, here's a short bio of Eileen. I love this thing. This is from our website, the Features Agency, where we have... Um, what she calls herself, an eye opener, an eye opener. So, welcome, <laughs> Aline. Uh, tell us briefly uh, what you do and who you are.
1: Um, I'm Aline Frankfurt. I'm, um, I'm a woman uh, completely dyslexic, uh, living between the possible and the impossible. And uh, my practice is uh, what I call the art of reperception, which is not exactly as you, get. Uh, I'm not a futurist. I'm uh, working on how to think and how to see the future, Um, taking uh, the point of view that our worldviews are the only thing we see. So we don't see the world, we see our lenses. And my my practice is about changing our worldviews and maps so that we can make wiser decisions. And I say wiser because I think that we cannot control the future, but we can make wiser decisions informed by broader perspective. So that's what I, what I do. It's all about freedom of thought.
0: Great. I love that. It's a very good fit with, with my work and what we're doing here in Go Talks and, of course, the yeah. Good Future film. And you're also a member of the Club of Rome, which is an interesting story. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Club of Rome, 1972, of course, the, the most probably one of the most controversial books in the history of futurism. Um, and what happened with the Club of Rome and, and why are we here now 50 years later uh, at, at a worse place than before, right? So that what we're gonna do now is I'm gonna give you a short presentation. I know I always say it's short, it never is, but I will try. I'll keep it as short as possible. Uh, and then we'll switch over to Aline who has sort of a, uh, uh, her own section for about uh, seven or eight minutes. And then we'll take questions and we'll debate the stuff that comes up. So uh, let's dive into the presentation. Um, and my reasons for being optimistic about the future. You know, right now you could really be forgiven not to be optimistic. Right? I look at myself and at my work and I, the film I made last year about the good future. And I look at everything around us, including climate change issues and energy issues. And of course, the coming food crisis and Russia, Ukraine. Yeah. And I tend to say, well, you know, the future better than we think. Maybe it's worse than we think, right? Uh, I mean, even I tend to go into that direction, the rabbit hole of of, uh, negative thought, right? And I always say in my presentation that business as usual is dead or dying. And I think that is so true. We can no longer just continue with what used to work, no matter what business we're in. And especially not if it's about sustainability, it's about climate. I mean, let's face this, and I, I have something coming up on this very soon. We're going to climate emergency. And and this is no longer just far away. And we're seeing right now in this summer, what hot means. And that is just a few days now, for example, the UK at the hottest day ever, but in the near future, it's gonna be the hottest month ever. And so businesses, you're just dead or dying. I think that's actually good news because new things can happen. But if you're looking at the world right now, you see the good things, you see the bad things, you see the bad things like climate change, that we're struggling with. You see the bad things like, of course, Ukraine, Russia, in this kind of political confusion, geopolitical uh, rearrangement. You see inflation, right? You see all the things that we're worried about there. At the same time, there is kind of a reset going on, makes us think about what we want. And millennials at Gen Y is asking for companies to be different. They're also asking for different kinds of investment. And now we have trends around the world where people are saying we're going to pull our money out from the fossil fuel industry. And uh, you have other examples I show later. You have the uh, Extinction Rebellion now supported by Stephen Fry even, right, taking more dramatic measures in this direction. So it's coming to a head, really, what is going on. It's the crisis also gets opportunity. Now, if you look at this chart, you could also be forgiven for having a negative view, right? Just take a look at all the things that have gotten worse since the COVID crisis. Social cohesion, likelihood of crises, climate action failure, mental health. I mean, basically, World Economic Forum here. The chart goes on until, you know, all the way down the screen, right? The things that are more of an issue. And that leads a lot of people to a dark view that is kind of the opposite of what I expressed in my film, The Good Future, which you need to watch at thegoodfuturefilm.com. And one of the key theories in my book was this one. Of course, the future is better than we think. And I still think that's true, but it contradicts kind of what we currently look at the reality of today, where we're looking at things like, uh, like this, right? I mean, this is a map of, of a heat map of the world from the last four weeks. Catastrophic. Right? And yes, people are dying from heat waves now, but anticipations are that if it goes on like this, it could be a hundred thousand next year, and a million the year afterwards. I mean, the numbers are astounding. And much quicker than we would have ever thought, right? So again, one could say, well, the good future, how about the future is worse than we think? Well, when it's about climate change, right? Uh, and that drives, of course, the urgency much more when we realize that, you know, this is a really emergency territory now. And clearly, again, looking at the numbers here, I mean, this is June 20, uh, 1976, the heat map, and this is June 2022. And in the, in the last 20 years, we have generated Uh, about 25% of the CO2. I mean, the numbers are, again, it's astounding. And look at the other numbers like this one, you know, the charts are, again, compelling when you you see what's happening there with global warming. And on top of that, now inflation here with Lithuania and uh, Estonia and Latvia are uh, going up to 15% of inflation, right? The future is worse than we think when we look at this, but Then the question really is this, are we heading towards this kind of Armageddon, right? First climate Armageddon, technology Armageddon, and, you know, this kind of view of dystopia is everywhere. All we have to do is watch television or, God forbid, watch Netflix or any of those shows, right? And then we have the statistics shown that kids around the world, 16 and 25, right? They're super anxious, especially in the southern part of the globe. So uh, just to zoom in on what exactly they are thinking, right? Uh, People have failed to care for the planet. The future is frightening. Family security is threatened. Humanity is doomed. That's what kids are saying. And I think this is a a rising concern pretty much around the world, especially in the southern hemisphere. Uh, So basically, I can be with Robin Williams, who said this. I, d- I hope you did hear that. Uh, let me just make sure we got the right audio mix here. Uh, yes, it should be. This is. Uh, let's play that again because it's so cool. Right. Just doom, nothing yeah, else. Yeah. It's just doom, nothing else. Right. You could be forgiven for thinking that, I think, right now. So let me bring up the antidote as to why I think we need to get away from this kind of what I call the despondency trap. Right. Uh, to be despondent, to be stopping, to think negatively. First, we can look at all of the things in a negative light, like here. Every year, 300,000 women die from pregnancy-related causes. The majority of the world lives in less than $10 a day. 10% live in extreme poverty. Almost a quarter of the world population lives in autocratic regimes. And, you know, the list goes on. I can take the same facts and I can look at it from a time-based point of view and say, well, let's turn this around a little bit and say the number of women who die from pregnancy-related uh, causes has declined. It's, it's actually gotten better. And the percentage of people living in poverty has fallen to less than 10% in a decade. And the percent of the world living in autocratic regimes has also declined, at least uh, as of this uh, reading, which is about two years ago, Uh, and so on. So I can take another viewpoint. I can have a despondent viewpoint, or I can have a sort of more uh, optimist point of view. And I think this is an important story, uh, because also, of course, quite clearly in social media, which is the prime culprit here, I think... Uh, the bad things uh, spread about five to six times faster. And this is really a very big deal about social media that we absolutely must address. And the other thing, uh, good things take much longer. To do good things takes longer. It's it's, it's much easier to do bad things, right? Or it's much better, much quicker uh, to make a dystopian movie. Look at all science fiction, 95% is dystopia, except for maybe her... Even that is dystopia, right? So good things take longer. And so we have this tendency, as Kevin Kelly says, right, that we sh- we need to look at a different direction here. And with have this tendency of, of looking at the po- negative things much quicker. And he says we should be optimistic not because there's less problems, right, but because our capacity to solve them is larger than we thought. This is a key sentence. You know, Kevin is a, a great idol of mine, so to speak. Everything he writes is pretty amazing stuff. Of course, he's a co-founder of Wired Magazine quite some time ago. He lives in San Francisco. Let's, let me show you a couple of facts here about what is actually better than we thought, right? Technology is getting cheaper and cheaper, enabling us to do things much quicker, like uh, human genome data sequencing. This is the, uh, the cost per megabase going towards zero, essentially, lots of things we can do with that. The power of computing is increasing. So we can do stuff like climate control using technology. We have lots of innovation platforms generating trillions of dollars. it's just a partial list here on the left. We have new uh, nuclear fusion reactors coming up, lots of money going into this into potentially a safe version of nuclear. We have a sustainability revolution where we can see uh, stuff like protein and transportation already changing in a very large way. Um, And of course, we have the climate change a crisis being attacked by climate technology. And that one really uh, allows us to think larger when we look at this curve, right? This is all happening in the next two to 10 years. I mean, tremendous progress pretty much allowing us to have all the tools we need to solve this. So the bottom line is we have all the tools, we're just going to make the right decisions. That makes me optimistic. At least we don't have a problem with not having the tools or not knowing what to do. We know what to do, we just won't do it, right? So that's another issue we're going to discuss later in the conversation. Key point here, our mistrust of the future makes it hard to give up the past and the present. Right? This is, a, a, I think, a Noah or a poet, a, a, a keynote speaker, who said this the other day. I picked it up from him. But we have to trust the future, right? So that that it's not hard to give up the past. So it's, it's hard... To, To move towards optimism. Uh, Optimism is a choice. Again, I think this is very clear when we look at the future. Again, Kevin Kelly says, over the long term, the future is, that can also be dangerous. So Kevin talks a lot about the alternative. He calls it the protopia. I love the whale here because it's kind of like whales don't do that, right? But it's something that we can imagine as a potential future. And uh, lots of great quotes from him on this, right? He says, for example. That Potopia defines a state that is better than today, today than yesterday, but maybe just a few steps. Right? It's a gradual thing, right? and Potopia is not. This is a great world word. It's not like imaginary heaven or nirvana. It's a stepwise approach to improving things. He also says, in, um, in this article, I, I'll put the link up here later. He says he's hoping that we can get out of this being blind for the future and that we generate plausible visions of the future. Right? And uh, basically, thrilling enough to aim towards. And I think this is a really powerful thing to think about, how we can tackle the future to create something that's thrilling for us. Uh, and he says, a summary basically being that it's a slow merge towards incremental betterment. That's what Potopia is. I think that's a good strategy. Uh, it's not dystopia, it's not utopia, it's not... Utopia with an EU, that's another version of it. It's kind of like this. You know, we have the burning planet now, and Portopia would be to imagine that we can return it to the state where it was in within the next 20 years. Uh, I think that's entirely possible. So this is something that I think is a good philosophical background of this. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've seen kind of the opposite happening with the climate bill, the Build Back Better by Biden being utterly defeated because of this uh, Senator Manchin uh, veto, right? But surprisingly yesterday, uh, we have the opposite where basically uh, a new bill came forward for Manchin that was the biggest bill ever in the US and then it passed. And so two weeks ago, it was nothing. Everything was falling apart. And now there's a new deal, right? And here's my good friend. This bill would be the most significant legislation in history to tackle the climate crisis and improve our energy security right away. Now give us a tool to meet the Hello, climate goals. Keep talking, but we... basically this is kind of interesting to see how this petropia came about, right? With all the pressure that, that has built up. And it's not that we're hopeless there, it's just we had to reroute first, right? So as I said earlier, we have all the tools, that's the science and the tech, and the money. We also have the money. But we must work on the telos you know telos is the wisdom the understanding this is of course old greek word that is widely used by the total refers to the full potential of something so this is why i've pledged many times that we should have a council of the wise people you know to bring forward the telos Uh, and i think we really need to go back to this and it can't just be the world economic forum or the u.n or you know, people within country, need a, we need a global forum for tell us, you know, for, for wisdom, how to change those things. Last thing I'm going to say about Kevin Kelly is this one, where he says a deep history of an idea makes it clear that the optimistic stance of believing something is possible is a requirement. If we want to build a good future, we have to be able to believe that it's possible. That's been my argument all along in the film, I think that's my argument as to why I feel optimistic, because I think optimists will win the day on this. So I'm going to bring in one more uh, special guest here, Cristina Figueres. She was the leader of the UN at the Paris Agreement 2015. She's probably the reason that we had the Paris Agreement to begin with. She's a Costa Rican uh, diplomat, and uh, we're going to bring in a live commentary from her here right now. Uh, Let me just cue this up here with our fancy tech. I love this message. You know, of course, um, if you uh, if you read her book, which is, I think, called uh, The Future We Want about climate change, it's, it's, it's really a powerful book. Uh, Optimism means about, envisioning uh, our
1: design.
0: And so I really think that right now, uh, can you bring me back on the full screen, please? Right, um, right now, we are at the fork in the road moment. You know, we're at a place where it's essentially emergency time, right? And this is the fork, it's not just a fork, right? It's a lot of people are saying, this is the decisive decade to address climate change, to look at technology regulation, to create a just world. And uh, I'm with Antonio Gramsci, Italian philosopher, he said that we should have pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. This is, uh, and I sometimes say optimism of the heart, right? Uh, Also, so we should be intellectually curious and ask questions and not be naive But we should remain optimists. And, you know, really what's happening now is we're heading to emergency 2030, not 2050. And we really need to have uh, immediate action on some of these items. That's why we need the optimism. So the belief that tomorrow can be better than today is an essential requirement. And this is why my pledge is for us to develop that optimism and to groom it and to help each other feel optimistic. And this is, by the way, why the world's 10 happiest countries, you can see them here, led of course by Switzerland and Denmark and Finland. And there is optimism that people can feel there. So we should discuss as to why that is, but I think this is gonna be really, really important for the future because I don't wanna be in a future that looks like this, You know, where we all feel like a turtle lying on our back when we can't do anything right? because we feel stuck. Right? I really believe our attitude contains our future. And if our attitude is pessimistic, we'll build a pessimistic future. And that's not something that we would want. So that's my pitch for optimism. And now let's have a conversation. Let's bring back Aline. Uh, I know it was a little bit longer than planned, but hey, you know. So Aline, uh, over to you. And please tell us why you have hope and optimism.
1: Okay. Um, um... I'm going to start by saying a word. Of course, thank you for inviting me, especially since we agree on a lot of things, and I think we disagree on others, or at least we might have a controversy. And as I was saying, um, the, the core of what I'm doing is the art of reperception, so changing how we look and see and think. And for a few years, Jean-Louis, my associate, and I have been calling that shapership. Uh, and shippership is a concept we invented, and it's also a practice. So I'll talk about the concept and then the practice. And uh, it's um, a concept we invented to open new windows in the mind, because obviously you understand that this word is made of to shape, the verb to shape, uh, like in shaping a diamond, and ship like in friendship or in craftsmanship. So um, a particular skill uh, in 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 a specific field. So shapership is the art of shaping the future, or it's the art of making the future visible, so after we have seen, we have envisioned it, desirable and actionable. And as such, it's a way to look at reality as it is, so the things we consider normal or uh, orthodox, and to look at the things as they could be in a revolutionary way so that we can craft new realities. So I'll say a word about reality. And the idea of shapership is not a utopia; it's more a utopia in action. And I insist on the fact that utopia is not the unrealist, but the unrealized yet, as uh, Jacques Monod said. So a utopia in action is uh, based on a desire to transform the world with imagination and action and not to make incremental changes or the willingness is more exactly if you want to shift completely the relationship we have with the system as it is, dominant, orthodox, based on destruction, um, competition and all the things we know and to shift our relationship, the relationship we have with those ideas so that we can get unstuck and imagine something which is radically different and based on a completely different set of values, beliefs, maps, worldviews, etc. So the idea of a utopia in action is a transformation in, rather than just fixing what's failing in the present or having an upgraded version of the present. And um, I have to say a word about reality and I'm not pretending that I will teach you anything new, but just to make sure that we are all clear, the real is something we cannot access despite all our efforts, but reality, like all the words in ET, is the real, what is, within the limits of our own perceptions, like the word possibility is what is possible within the limits of our own perceptions and beliefs. So if I take this um, simple idea. The real is something, then we have our filters and our perceptions, which makes it possible for us to make decisions and actions. So Our decisions are based on our perceptions, which are a story, a meaningful or meaning-making story we create because we are story makers. Probably all have read uh, Yuval Noah Ahari which t- talks about the specificity of the human species or sapiens sapiens sapiens, sapiens but sapiens demands too? We are creating stories, and um, in fact, we are constructing reality. It's a map, and our maps might be completely in- incomplete, or false, or obsolete, or old, or not just. We can travel in a in a country like Egypt with a map of Australia, and of course, this is all this is all the question. So. Shapership as such is about utopia as desire and hope. And it's based on the idea that if you take an iceberg, the top of the iceberg is visible, but far below you have our worldviews or maps, and far below you have our intentions, intentions or purpose. So I'll come back to this because I, I think that our maps, as you know, are completely invisible to us. If you take the story of those two little fishes, who are just uh, swimming together and they cross an old fish, and the old fish asks the two, hey boys, how how is the water? They just don't answer, they walk away. And then one of the young fishes says to the other, what the hell is water? So that's a bit our situation. We navigate in a a notion of uh, ideas and concepts which are almost invisible to us and we take them for granted. In, in, in those, uh, in what, what we call reality, is also the story of our future. Because as you know, we have a story of our past, a story of our present, and we have a story of our future. In other words, the future we imagine is the cause of the way we live, we experience life today. For some, it's a story of apocalypse now, the end of the world, for some, it's another story and it all depends on the way we look at the situation. So I want to emphasize one thing for, 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 for us before we continue. It's the idea of a double vision. A double vision means there is the present and the future. We live in the present, we make decision in the present and so we are in the process of future making and the vision of the future is in fact it might be a a, a dream or not. When we talk about shapership, the vision of the future is a big yes to a radically different future. So it's like making a hole in the jungle of the representation we have about what is possible. And this vision, transformative vision, is going to create an effect in, in retrospective. It's going to allow us to reengage with our life in a different way so the double vision means the future is a vantage point a shifting perspective from which we reconsider completely our priorities today that's why there is a play on word which i love uh, made by uh, i don't remember the name of this author uh, he created the, the play on game the future is nowhere no where and if you just move one letter The present is now here. So when we have a future in mind, it's like Einstein who said, a dark room is never dark when you make a hole in it and light enters in. So there is a way to open the future and enlighten the present. And I think that this means that when I practice Shepherdship, I use this idea that we need to, at the same time, make a lucid criticism of the world we want less of, the present, including the worldviews that support it. And we need also to be able to create an image or a series of visions of the future we desire. So before I go to the practice of shapership, there is one more thing I want to say very briefly about hope. Um, I prefer hope rather than optimism, to me, hope, and I have to read that sentence, sorry, I don't know it by heart, but Vaclav Havel said something that really inspired me about hope. He it, it said, hope is not the conviction that something will turn well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how things turn out. Hope is the dimension of the soul and not an objective assessment of the situation. So... I think that there is a leap in faith uh, to make, and uh, hope is a driver for action. But for me, it relies on what I call a soul compass. And let's say that a soul compass is nothing mystical, although it can be, but it's a sort of integrity of the being. And if you clearly go inside all of us deeply, honestly, we know at least three things. First, that the world and the way we live or the way we live and destroy life can, is not sustainable. We know that a more beautiful world is possible. And we know that it takes courage to reinvent the world. But I think that courage is the thing that is missing the most at the moment. And for, for it to, I would say, uh, grow, grow. Uh, I think we need imagination. Because imagination is about options, and options makes valid decisions too. Um, if we only know one restaurant, we cannot decide between several. So I think that as such, uh, I'd like to tell you a short story about the, the future as the cause of the present. Um, ben Lander, who, were the, who was the chief, uh, the conductor, uh, the, the, the chief, or how do you say that, the, the main conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra, once said to his wife, I'm going um, to change completely the way I assess my students. And he was having the best musicians in the world from five to 12 years old in a course. And he said, the first course I give them, I'm going to give them an A. And he wrote a book about that called The Art of Possibility to, to, to show what it changes for those children. The first lesson they received an A with one condition, to write a letter from the future. One from one year ahead, write a letter, but they had to write it three months uh, after the first lesson, explaining why they deserved that A. And I wrote, uh, I read all the letters. And when you have a small little trombonist five-year-old who says, I was given an A, and it changed everything in my way of playing, he became an A, and all the children became an A. So I think that the way we think about the future is in fact really existential, as Gerd says, and it, it's really now here, so this nowhere. And putting all that together, I want to tell you that, by the way, shippership is what? The art of shaping the future for me is about having this capacity, the creative agency, to play with our ideas, to consider that we have good ideas and bad ideas, but they are just maps. That we have the capacity to reperceive things and think big And it's an invitation to shift from a mad world, mad being the one we live in, which leads to massive assured destruction, to a nomad world, which leads to something else. I call it mutually assured development. And um, that is an invitation to shift from a perception of apocalypse now to a perception of no apocalypse, not now. In other words, Bill, uh, no, sorry, not Bill, but uh, the, the biologist uh, Lipton, Bruce Lipton, he created something which is absolutely fantastic. He, he talked about the imaginal cell um, metaphor, but it's, it's, it's a biological thing. Um, he says, of course, we see the end of the world as we know, so that's the end of the caterpillar and probably the emergence of the butterfly. But he says something which is connected with the fact that when the caterpillar stops to grow, then the, the cells which are within, they start to, well, they lose their job so they start to panic. They even commit suicide or apoptosis, while other cells which have always been there, and they, they are called the imaginal cells, they don't panic at all because they see the future. So they start to cluster. Because of the breakdown, they start to cluster, while the other from the... Um, uh, the, the system, the, the the caterpillar system, they attack them, the imaginal cells start to cluster and reproduce at full speed. And because of the fact that they see the future, there is a turning point, and at one moment, the metamorphosis comes up. So about this little illustration, I think we have, we have the choice. Either we just make, uh, like the ostrich, we bury our head in the sand and make as if nothing was happening and continue with the SOS or same old solutions or we just are locked in um, what i call apocalypse now or the nostalgia of the future which is what young people live now the feeling that uh, there is a an awareness of a future forever gone which has been stolen or we put our energy into creating the future we want uh, based on unorthodox uh, solutions and to me it's not about slightly incremental changes. It's because when we solve a crisis, we don't make a system change. It's about the Buckminster Fuller approach. We need to, make a, create, to create a proposition that makes the previous system obsolete. Instead of solving problems, I think we need to dissolve them, to make them unexistent. Now maybe I'll keep the, the shapership as a practice for the questions if get want, because <laughs> I, I, uh, I have uh, used my time. <laughs> Get if you want. Great, great. Um, I mean, lots
0: of great stuff here. I mean, I think it fits together very nicely with everything that I have talked about, but uh, yeah. the general kind of idea. I think, you know, hope and optimism, they are related, but hope is kind of something that's in the soul, right? And that actually brings up some questions we had here from people. Uh, there was uh, one question about you know, uh, God and hope, and how can you have hope without God? You know, God questions aren't allowed in this show. But but anyway, <laughs> no, let's not really talk about that. But I mean, I think ultimately th- this are really, really powerful question. I have a question for you and then we'll go to the other questions here. Um, coming back from the future, right? The concept that Buckminster talked about, the concept I talk about a lot, is um, our skill has to be to go into the future, see what we learn there and come back today, right? Uh, To then address what we have today. So that's imagination coming back from the future. But a lot of times when I work with people, they they want to go from here to the future. So they want to go forward rather than going to the future and coming backwards, right? Mm -hmm, And I think this is an important exercise. Like imagination would tell us that, you know, it could look like this. And if we believe in that being possible, for example, the global carbon coin for CO2 or uh, the things that we're talking about to amend climate change. If we think of that as possible, how can we then go, come back to the day and convince people? Right? How do we get people aboard with coming back from the future? How do you do that?
1: Um, I usually start with looking at the present uh, in a way which leads people to take a stand. I'm, I'm just uh, going to give a, a, a short explanation. If we, I call it the creative resistance, I think that people know if they face reality as it is, and if they understand that they participate in that reality, I mean, the world is not something out there. Uh, I can use my dispersal machine, I hope it will function, but I'm not creating the future by doing that. <laughs> I hope the world is stable at that place. So there is something about Looking at the, future, at the present situation, looking at what is supposed to be normal, orthodox, admitted, whether you are in an industry like uh, in chocolate, where I worked a few, a few months ago, there are practices that are taken for granted. And they are supported by beliefs. And when people look at that, they can just start to understand that this is also a story. It's not that they have to maintain growth, uh, slavery, uh, function within the norms, et cetera. So once they have reached the point where I I start to ask them to take a stand, it's a statement of position, and I ask them to say a big no to something. And the big no being said, they still don't have the future, but at least they know what they don't want. And then it is possible to unlock something, which is a big yes, and a transformative vision, supposedly not something possible, but almost impossible as a vision so that they restory the future. And it gives them so much hope. And it's, it's um, you know, Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a nightmare. He said, I have a dream. And it's a long conversation <laughs> we can have about the fact that it's easier to make dystopia than utopia. But then when right. they uh, come back, I, I'm, I'm asking them to, to make the third step, which is, to me, uh, after the transformative vision, it's make to jam together. And I, I position it like that. Um, Jamming together is how we improvise collectively to create the future. And that's, that's also a story. So I hope it answers mm-hmm. at least a bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great, uh, okay, uh, thanks. thanks for that. We have a question by Bill Halal. Let's bring yes. that in. Bill was the guest on the last Future Show, on the last uh, Girl Talks, I mean. Um, thanks Bill for being there and for contributing the question. Uh, if you want to see the show that I did with Bill, uh, just go to gertalks.com. you see his latest show. So he asked the question, to have hope, you, has, you must have faith. What do you have faith in? Okay, I'm yeah. going to answer this briefly, and then you can answer the same. You know, for me, I think I have faith in people, in humans. Uh, I think we can, that we can do this. I think we're completely capable of change, of collaboration, of good things. Uh, I'm not a negative believer in that, you know, people can't get anything done. Um, I do have faith or believe somewhat in science and technology, but probably less than in people. Um, But ultimately, I believe that we can and we will get things done. Um, My biggest fear is that we may be too late or that we may get way late or we may get lazy or we may not be in time anymore. And I think we have a 10-year time frame for that to happen. And, and so 10 years of, of faith, I still have. So, mm. um, Aline.
1: Um, Oh, What do I have faith in? Um, I'm forcing myself to remain faithful in, uh, in, in in what has meaning, what is serving life, I would say. Uh, I think that l- when we love people, we l- we want to we want a future for them. So for me, life as such, outside of human, <laughs> and inside, in, and human included, is is something absolutely marvelous. But in terms of humans, I think we are capable of the worst and the best. So capable of destroying everything, or just uh, be in contact with eros that's why i call it the erotica of the future i think that i have hope and f- faith in the fact that deep inside all humans are as Gert was saying there is a sort of kindness and deep humanity and that's something i want to believe but I'm, I, I i must say i want
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i have the same feeling you know i am optimistic about this and I don't think and there's definitive proof about this, but uh, yep. you know, I, I was a student of theology uh, when I was 18. Uh, I studied uh, uh, Lutheran uh, theology and Greek and Hebrew and Latin and all that stuff. But I, I don't take my source of belief or faith from that direction um, any, anymore. That was a long time ago. But I, I, I tend to believe that when you look at everything, you know, everything being equal, I think humans are capable of creating the good future. And mm-hmm. I, I really would like us to collaborate on getting, working that out, how we do this, rather than constantly looking at the bad humans uh, that make, obviously, the headlines these days. Let's bring another question in. Um, okay, great. Brian Watershoot. thanks for the question. More and more people out there with burnouts, depression, and so on. I believe there cannot be good times without the bad ones. That's true. Without winter, how can one approach the bad times in a more constructive way? Yes. Well, you know, I, I I've talked about this many times in my speeches. I think that, you know, humans really only re- respond in two ways or so to two things, and that's pain or love, right? Uh, we, we, we do something when there's pain, and we do something when we fall in love with, you know, people, things, ideas, right? And we need this motivating force. And I think the fact that things are going pretty badly right now in so many ways. Makes us blind sometimes to the things that are not going badly, but it's also a motivator. Like the whole COVID crisis was a giant motivator that said, pay attention, collaborate, think ahead, right? plan for the worst, be prepared, right? All those are key messages. And so I, to take a more constructive view, I think it's a personal thing is, you know, how do we, how do we maintain a positive outlook when we're witnessing all the negative stuff raining down on us? And one thing that I personally do a lot, I try to keep away sometimes from the too pessimistic things of the news or focusing on all the things that need fixing. So sometimes I prefer to say, let's look at the things that are being fixed so that we have some positive energy coming from this. I Mm -hmm. I would grant you it's a pretty hard time right now to do that. I mean, I know people personally who died from COVID. I know a lot of people uh, personally, who are suffering in, in the Ukraine. And that sometimes makes you feel like, you know, there's like it's getting closer and closer and closer to... Yeah, but I, I think we can develop a strategy just to remain positive.
1: Yeah. I just... Uh, I, 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 I can say something to, to Brian. Um, thanks for the question, by the way. I think that what is, for me, is very, very helpful... Is what I call uh, creative agency, which I mentioned earlier, which is this capacity we have to reconsider with the power and freedom, by the way, we, we have to reconsider the stories we create, the beliefs we have, and to shift our perspectives and to play in a way seriously with our ideas. And uh, to consider that is giving me, I say, altitude, attitude. it's like a hot air balloon, you know, you choose to navigate a space where there is this freedom to just think from different vantage points and try to navigate or reconsider the, the present, for instance, and find ways to listen to voices that are unheard within yourself or ancient wisdom. Find places where there are initiatives that give us hope that a more viable future is possible. And listen to our dreams. And by the way, enjoy the, or have the joy to challenge conventional wisdom. And that's already uh, something. And then take the, 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 the balloon. Have the move from ego to eco and start to consider that a, a more beautiful world is possible and you might be connected with it from your aspirations um, so to me it's a possibility to to just say we are not locked into into the present even if frederick jameson once said we it's now easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, he also said uh, <laughs> yeah, he also said we are in a complete crisis of imagination and imagination can be boosted
0: yeah, I mean, like I said in in the, in the presentation, uh, I've I, I noticed this many times, you know, if I, uh, if my attitude is more positive and open, then I experience experience better things. It can't be all the way from the cab driver to the people that I meet at the event, right? Uh, and this kind of turtle attitude that I see a lot now is like, okay, we're helpless. We can't do anything. We have bad politicians. It's already too late and stuff. it It is not helping. Right, because it puts you in a situation where you have no control, no power, no... Right? And, and basically, all you can do is move to you know, the Swiss mountains or uh, you know, somewhere out in the Canary Islands in a tent, you know, in the caves of Gomera, to get away from things. I, I think you know, th- there's very little hope in that kind of thinking. So your attitude contains your future. And I, I keep saying this, of course, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to always have a good attitude. I don't always have a good attitude. But it is very, very much a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, yeah. and I think you can see that in the climate in the climate movement. Um, the successful pieces of the climate movement that, that we're seeing around us, they have a way of remaining positive despite the fact that we're probably not going to make it with the one point five degrees, right? So, but if you hang your hopes on the two point zero degrees, which is much, much worse, right? Maybe that's more realistic. Maybe that's more optimistic. You know, maybe that's more. Uh, something that we can actually realize. Let's take another question. Hmm. So Vincent, thank you for asking. What are the three uh, top concrete actions we should all take tomorrow to move towards protopia? Yeah, about small incremental improvements. Good question. Um, The small, three concrete actions. Well, um, first, I think utopia, uh, protopia for me means realizable possible Actions that are somewhat more doable than saying utopia, for example, uh, that uh, we can bring the planet back to no warming. Right. Um, so protopia for me would be a very simple step, like saying, okay, let's uh, let's agree on a global carbon tax, an emergency tax that we all pay in the next for the next five years or so into a climate change fund. Uh, I think Kim Stanley Robinson pointed this out to a science fiction writer and many others. 3% of global GDP set aside for that would allow us to fix that problem and actually reverse it in the next 20 years. So that would be for me like one step where we could say, let's put money in the pot. Let's generate uh, real action together. Let's voluntarily pay this tax. Uh, let's find a way to actually take that step. And to put other things in place that are seem tangible action. Other tangible action would be, uh, for example, to um, to agree on carbon taxes for flying airplanes, which I do a lot, you know, and I already pay my carbon tax. But things like that that are small steps that are not entirely, you know, uh, large political issues.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I cannot answer that question because as I said earlier, I believe that it's time for radical change rather than incremental solutions. But it does not prevent us from making small changes. And I just want to say one thing. Paul Duan is a uh, Chinese-French-American young man uh, whom I heard a few years ago say he was working at Eventbrite, by the way. He says, I'm fed up now with uh, having my company make money in a a meaningless way sense for me and he was a he was an algorithm specialist and he says can algorithm change the world and if you google for video of him you'll see his his smile he was 22 he said can algorithm change the world and the answer is yes and now he's created an ngo and working on the biggest issues of our time so he gave himself a purpose which was higher and it was out of reach in a way so i believe this is a kind of step that is available now it doesn't mean it's incremental i would prefer us to make big steps right now (laughs) in our mind
0: yeah i I think that the big step was a small step it's it's basically the fact is we're heading towards an emergency scenario and that is first climate change that's completely obvious it's going to take emergency action Um, it's it's no longer about Incremental things there. The second one, it's also the emergency of technological dominance, which is becoming an emergency as well, but not as quickly as the climate change one. Uh, but but we're seeing that sort of loping out there. And then we have a democratic emergency that people don't believe the democratic systems can do this because our media sucks, right? Our media is an algorithm. So big steps being taken. I think I'm very much for that. And I think we're seeing that. Uh, Right now, in the debate of how we're going to, how in the world are we going to take real action on climate change, that's becoming a model for everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of practical considerations, you know, impossible is the new normal, really. Yeah, absolutely. And impossible impossible things will become entirely normal. Like, you know, a year ago, everybody was forced to do X, Y, Z to protect each other wearing masks, not going out, staying at home. That seemed impossible, right? But we did it. And we're going to have similar emergency scenarios. And I think that is really, really important to realize at a certain point, all other concerns sort of go out the window, you know, because we we have Mm -hmm. uh, existential survival uh, to deal with.
1: I'd like to just add one thing just related to that. It's, It's a metaphor, but if you have a liver crisis, for instance, if we have a liver crisis, we know that normal or standard remedies will bring us back to the, to the previous situation. If we have a liver condition, we need to change our life. And I think that uh, this is now what we are. We are in the liver condition on multiple aspects, so eco, eco, biodiversity, etc. So we must admit that anyway, no standard remedy will bring us back. That's what I mean by big steps rather than incremental. It's in our mind first. We need to dare to imagine our way out of the unimaginable.
0: Yeah, and I think we have history in this. You know, we we did that with the nuclear non-proliferation treaty. You know, after we had nuclear bombs, we we realized, it took 14 years for that to happen, but we did realize that if we have 10,000 more, this is the end of us, right? And and so we were able to actually get together and it's holding up until today, uh, which, you know, for now, but I think we can do this, but this will require some very, very serious um, uh, collaboration and and sort of hyper collaboration where a lot of things that were previously just arguments will fall by the wayside. And that's all going to happen, I think, in the next year or two, uh, because now it's emergency 2030, right? It's not 2040, it's not 2050. Uh, and this is about our kids and their kids, right? This is about, it's getting personal, right? And, and not just on the climate change front, on pretty much yeah, every yeah. front. Let's bring another question. In. Are there any problems outside the human mind? <laughs> now we're getting philosophical. <laughs> I'll leave that to you, uh, Aline.
1: <laughs> but I think that there is a way to say that Worldviews uh, are, uh, let's say, driving the way the world outside uh, is created, or as Einstein was saying, the world outside is a product of our thinking, so we cannot change it without changing our thinking. And I believe, of course, our maps are not the territory, as Korbinski said, but our maps shape the territory. So I would say we have a problem of consciousness, as somebody was mentioning. There is actually, there is currently a revolution in consciousness. And uh, I don't think it's in our mind. <laughs> I think it's a complete, it's a, a way of being as such, uh, which needs to be completely regenerated and uh, the way we live uh, as such. And um, to me, it's, it's all about finding more conscious ways of operating and wiser ways of operating now do we have any problem outside the human mind i wouldn't say we are the cause of everything but we are interacting so we might consider that uh, 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 reconsidering our place as anthropocene uh, in being able to succeed access our own humanity sapiens sapiens instead of being sapiens demons seems to me to be the problem at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, we discussed that. it in the last show where, when I talked with Bill Halal, who's hopefully still on the call here, but yeah. but I, when, when we talk about global consciousness, right? And this is really what we need. We need to get away from this individual consciousness and this idea of individual progress and individual things and, you know, moving towards a global consciousness. And I think that is a 20 year time frame. This is already starting to percolate, yeah? yeah. It's, it's interesting to see when you talk to millennium people, you know, uh, Gen Y kids between say 20 and 35, many of them don't think of themselves as being citizen of one country, for example, right? Yeah. They already think like a world citizen, right? And that's, that's part of course, because of the, of the internet and connectivity and so on. But I think it's dramatically changing. In um, this moment in time, in the next 10 years, it's mm-hmm. we're either going to find a way there or our consciousness will not be enough to actually solve the issue. Mm-hmm. And, and and this is why it's that is the emergency action that we need to undertake right now that goes beyond all economic worries um, and also, of course, creating a new economic logic that goes beyond the single focus on profit and growth, which, you know, we talk about that. We'll get into another one-hour conversation. We're going to take one more question. Uh, and all other questions, you know, you could submit also later when we have the YouTube version up and running. You can continue to to chat. So what role should institutional governance play to achieve real change that we urgently need?
1: Well, I think well, that the dominant actors at the moment, I mean, just dominant actors are um, as political as well political as um, uh, businesses. <laughs> um, and there is a tendency for them uh, to, play, uh, to play it safe. I would say the, 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 the world, the, the, the business as usual, is uh, remarkably resilient, if we might say. They are kidnapping all the concepts to make as if they were transforming things or disrupting, but still disrupting without any purpose or any vision. And I, I think that that's, that's crucial. So I, I believe that there is a, uh, what Otto Scharmer, uh, years ago, I think uh, in 2003, he called uh, an awareness-based governance. And we need a completely new collaborat- collaboration between citizens, uh, businesses, NGOs, and, and all institutions, rather than have everyone fight for their own survival, including government. That's my point of view.
0: Well, you know, the, uh, I mean, to me, it's clear that the role of government and maybe not institutional governance, but government in general is exploding in importance because uh, every every problem we're having is a larger problem. It's not like... The problem of climate change in Switzerland—it's a global problem. It's energy problem, security, safety, cybersecurity, and all these things—they're global issues. So we may be deglobalizing as far as supply chain goes—you know, getting things from more local sources—that may be true. But in general, our biggest issues are global issues, and 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 so really, what it takes now is the realization that energy, water, food, security, disease—you know, uh, spacefaring, and so on—those are all issues that we're forced to collaborate on. So I I see the role of government increasing and I also see a lot of people asking for different kinds of leaders in government. I'm convinced, and that's already quite true, we're gonna see more women, we're gonna see more young people, uh, we're going to see uh, entire changes in regimes. A lot of the populists and autocrats are waning because they haven't done a good job with anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And democracy will, will, will come back as part of the, Rejuvenation of media and the sort of renaissance of humans, I believe. But so there's big changes coming up. I wish there was another 50-year Cinder Endurance, you know, New Zealand and different countries. And I think we are seeing some. We're seeing that in Iceland. We're seeing it now in Colombia. We see it in Germany, where, okay, oh, the head guy is a, uh, the, you know, the, the chancellor is a man, but everybody else is a woman, right? <laughs> right after him. And we're seeing tremendous changes here. And, and I think we have to get ready for this. A new generation is going to come into politics, and it isn't yep. my generation. You mm-hmm, know, it mm-hmm. is between thirty and fifty, and yep. I think that fills me with great hope. Um, also, because the the uh, speed will increase, but again, I would say apart from institutional governance, it's going to be important that we have a council of the wise people. I think that is so crucial because the council is would be people who are thinking above any of the political or economic or you know world economic forum slash UN issues, but, but like a guidance, like an ancient Greece, you know, what is the right thing to do? What kind of future do we want? You know, what makes us human? You know, look, go back to Star Trek, right? Remember that? Yeah, Star yeah. Trek, uh, you know, that, the only positive science fiction movie that's been a long time, you know, the council of wise people is not a council of CEOs,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, and,
0: yeah, so so I, I think that's something we really have to think about that, because we're going to need a lot of wisdom. We have so much t- uh, tools, we're, we're, we're like, it's unlimited, you know, we can do whatever we want with technology, but where is the telos, you know, and who has the telos? We have Jacques Attali in France, and maybe uh, Noam Chomsky in America, you know, they're all over 90 years old, right? Something like that. Where are the new ones? <laughs> you know, let's bring them forward. Uh, let's do one more question and then we wrap up. Okay, we'll do a short answer on this one, okay? So I know we have quite a few more people. Chris Perry again. Thanks for being there again, Chris. So, global awareness is the motivation for global solutions that brings hope, wisdom, unfurled. Well, that actually is a very good wrapping comment. <laughs> right? and, and this is something I personally am thriving for, uh, driving for, is try to, try to achieve the, the sort of furthering that, right?
1: Well, I would say, I don't know if, if what uh, Chris is saying is global meaning holistic or global in the sense of uh, uh, worldwide. You know, I think that we, we are at a time where system issues require system solutions, but I'm not sure they are all global. Uh, but by the way, I think that we need to have a global awareness, so to be connected to the imperatives of the world, but uh, this is also about being uh, being able to to be very very have a granularity that is meaningful for people locally.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the system solutions. I think I totally agree with you on that. However, I would say there are system solutions, and then there's personal solutions. They are not really exclusive. They can happen at the same time. Yeah. you know, oh. there are system, uh, system reboots that we must make. For example, declaring fossil fuel activities a, a crime yeah. right i mean that will be the most logical solution a system solution for saying you know if you invest in false stuff you, you invest in a criminal activity that's mm-hmm. really what mm-hmm. it is you know mm-hmm. it sounds extreme of course but you know it's time for extreme measures so uh i want to wrap this up in a good way as i like to say the features better than we think i hope we were able to contribute a little bit to that uh you can find out more about the show at gertalks.com we have a little micro website for this and of course on youtube uh, this is number twelve. Number thirteen will be after the summer vacation. Um, Aline, where where can people find out more about your work? Uh, maybe we can bring in the website or the the book. Yeah, bring in the book as no, well. No, no, it's
1: not it's not that website. It's uh, it's the other website. Uh, it's shippership. Sorry, it's yeah. just uh, shippership.com or org, Fine. and uh, then there you can find uh, the concept, the book, and. Uh, any other things, including yeah. a blog and some conferences. That's what we have uh, started before the COVID, just uh, shift our own uh, activities to Shapership.
0: Great, and of course, there's a QR code there on top that people can scan to find out more about your work uh, and, and your book, Shapership, which I think is on Amazon, right?
1: Yeah, the prototype version, yeah. No, There is a version in French <laughs> And there is okay. a prototype version still on, on Amazon, which is, I think, uh, it's edited by the university. It, it was a I mean, a poor edition, but at least the concepts are there. It's very short. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's always work in progress, like my book. I want to rewrite yeah, yeah. it, but but <laughs> now it just came out in Farsi in Persian language, and I, I don't want to read. I don't want to redo fifteen editions of my book. So. Anyway, <laughs> but, so it's a great pleasure. Thanks for having uh, for being part of the show, Aline and also I hope to see you down the road and uh, everybody else we're going to show a short trailer with my film as we do with all the GERD talks so you know what my film is all about thegoodfuturefilm.com I want to thank you very much for being part of this and please spread the word and also the link when we're done it's going to